Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to The Morning Briefing for Wednesday, June 27th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to the American Legion about GI Bill Week. We're also going to talk to them about the upcoming confirmation hearing. Today, actually, Wednesday, the upcoming confirmation hearing just in a few hours of Robert Wilkie, nominee for VA secretary. And then we are going to talk to a member of the United States Navy Reserves who has a full-time job as a personal trainer. Her name is Tori Scotty, and we're going to talk to her about that life of keeping one foot in the military and one foot in the civilian world while running her own business, a successful personal trainer business based out of San Diego with a huge Instagram following and so on and so forth. We'll talk to her about fitness. We'll talk to her about what got her interested in it and why she thinks more veterans should be keeping in better shape after we take off the uniform. So all of that coming up on today's show. But of course, we begin things as usual by welcoming Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, good morning. How are you today? Doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I woke up, and this happens as you get older. You'll see. You're a couple years behind me. It's going to get worse before it gets better for you, I promise. I woke up, and it feels like uh, I tore something in my shoulder blade. I don't know what I could have done while I was sleeping to have done this, but I woke up, and there is a sharp, stinging pain in my shoulder blade. That is just awful. And unfortunately, while there are many cool little things down here at uh, at Entercom's Washington, D.C. offices, there is no chiropractor or masseuse or anything like that that I can <laughs> Not stop yet. in. Not yet. What, are you doing some training that we don't know about? I can either confirm nor deny. Jake is going to be the office masseur or uh, chiropractor in which... Jake will just have a baseball bat and whack people where they have that injury. When I was a drill sergeant, uh, one of the other platoons, they caught the drill sergeants caught a guy giving massages at night, and oh. so and so the drill sergeants set up the MPs, the massage police. Oh, this wow. was private staff set up in their PT gear with full battle rattle, walking around with red and blue flashlights, preventing people from doing massages. Like to people that were awake or asleep. The people that were awake, but this oh, okay. dude was like a trained masseuse or something. Oh, okay. So they had the fire guard, they had CQ guard, <laughs> and they had the masseuse police walking around in circles in their bay. See, I could see that being a problem if the people were asleep and didn't know that it was going on. But if someone's like, you know, this this boot camp life, it's got me really uh, sore and stressed out. I've got this, got this muscle issue in my shoulder blade like I've got today. Eh, it's no big deal there. Although I suppose it's, it's not something that's supposed to happen there. So that's why they had to shut it down. Do you know where that guy is now? Because I'm telling you, my shoulder blade is killing me. And if he could come <laughs> in here, no. he could come in here during the show and uh, and do a little work on it. That would be fantastic. I actually have a membership at a massage place where I can get like one massage a month, and then I, I pay for all the additional ones after that. But I haven't been going regularly. I think I might need to see if they have an appointment open this afternoon because man, am I just not feeling good right now? 
Still, I'm feeling better than some people out there, including the gentleman at the center of this horrible story coming out of Georgia. Oh, it yeah. appears that a veteran who claims to have been fed up with his treatment by the Department of Veterans Affairs set himself on fire in protest outside of the Georgia State Capitol building on Tuesday in Atlanta. He's 58 years old. He's from Mableton, Georgia. That's all we know. He hasn't been identified otherwise. Uh, the police say that he was strapped with some homemade incendiary devices and firecrackers and doused himself with uh, with some kind of flammable liquid. That's according to a statement they made to the Atlanta, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, then explosions apparently began going off because of the fireworks attached to his body. And thankfully, there was a police officer there who rushed toward the veteran with a fire extinguisher, put him out. Uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports that there was also a car there that this guy drove up in, which had a sign in the windshield listing a phone number and instructions to call it. But the police were telling people, don't call that number. They were worried that it might set off an incendiary device or an explosion someplace. It might be a remote detonation. Uh, for those of us who have gone through the training or seen it firsthand, we know that cell phones were often used as the, uh, you know, your, uh, your igniter, essentially, for IEDs in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, it's something that can be done to complete the circuit, essentially. Um, the veteran was rushed to Grady Memorial Hospital with burns to 85 to 90% of his body. Wow. That's usually fatal. Um, don't yeah. know exactly what his condition is now. Uh, this was, uh, again, happened yesterday. And this is something that's uh, horrifying. And if the reasoning behind it is, is what he says it was, that makes it even more horrifying. Yeah, I'm checking on my phone. Uh, NBC News has his name. He's 58-year-old John Watts. John Watts. There you go. Well... John Watts set himself on fire in front of the Atlanta State Capitol, apparently to protest uh, treatment by the Department of Veterans Affairs. That is uh, horrifying that someone would do that. And you would think someone who, who goes to that extreme probably has uh, some serious issues going on. And if those issues weren't being dealt with, uh, he felt properly, apparently, is why he did this. Uh, you wonder, though, if someone is willing to do something like this, you know, what other kind of issues are going on? Is this really the VA's fault or is this uh, you know someone who had I mean clearly has some mental health issues a normal healthy functioning person doesn't do this doesn't set themselves on fire uh, this is a really a bad situation over there in Atlanta and one that uh, one that we don't uh, we don't like to see to say the least I mean who wants to see anyone setting themselves on fire uh, the self-immolation is protest something that's gone on for uh, quite a long time, but it's it's rare. It's pretty rare. I mean, if you want to bring attention to something, I suppose he's in he's in the media right now, so I guess that worked, but at what cost and to himself and and could there be copycats after this? I mean, it really it it causes a lot of concerns. The foremost concerns are for his physical and mental well-being at the moment. Burns to 85 to 90% of his body. That's something that, uh, again, that's oftentimes something that you, you're not going to survive. I mean, depending on how severe the burns are, but if it's 85 to 90 percent of your body and there was an accelerant used, that is uh, that is a bad situation. So we'll keep an eye on that and see what happens uh, regarding it and see if anything comes out about what he was claiming the issues were. Because there are times where people are claiming that 
the VA is just, you know, screwing them over. The VA is not doing what they should. And then you find out, well, the VA was doing everything that they could. This person wanted something that they weren't capable of doing, or this was a person who was uh, not in their right mind and was demanding things that just weren't going to happen or aren't possible. Of course, then you have the people who will say, well, why was anything not possible? Why wasn't it done? In this story, we don't have any of the details. So while it's easy to say, hey, he was protesting against the VA, we know there are issues at the VA, which is absolutely true, we don't know about this individual's case. And again, the methods that he used to protest it, I think offhand make you question uh, how sane he was. I mean, these are the actions of someone who had lost it. Then again, you could say that person lost it because of the treatment that they weren't getting at the VA. But again, we don't have enough detail on this. All we know is that a veteran went to an extreme and uh, we hope that he gets the help that he needs and we hope he pulls through after being burned over 85 to 90% of his body. Speaking of the VA, mentioned it earlier, and Jake, you talked to the American Legion about it yesterday. We're going to play that interview today. Later on today, we've got the VA secretary hearing with Robert Wilkie. Robert Wilkie, of course, is a uh, colonel in the Air Force Reserves, I believe, served in the Navy Reserves at one point, was most recently the acting secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Before that and during, because he was kind of double dipping as far as jobs, was the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness. Military Times has a story reporting on a Washington Post story. So this is you know one of those stories about a story. Uh, Leo Shane's got it for uh, Military Times. And he's talking about Robert Wilkie's past political views that it doesn't sound like from what I'm hearing and what I'm reading, too many people think that this is going to stop him from being nominated. But things like advocate, advocacy for former Senator Jesse Helms that the Washington Post says had some sort of racist undertones. Active work with the Sons of Confederate Veterans, a group that defends public displays of Confederate symbols. Uh, He is a North Carolina native, so, uh, you know, one of those states that was part of the Confederacy way back when. And also working closely with former Senator Trent Lott and Donald Rumsfeld, of course, former SecDef. And uh, according to this story, saying that he was seen as a vocal advocate for some of their controversial policies. States back, you know, pretty, pretty long in the grand scheme of things. Johnny Isaacson, who we'll be talking to in the coming days here on The Morning Briefing, of course, is the senator and he's the chair of the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committee, says he's already discussed these things with Wilkie and he doesn't expect it to be an issue. I think anytime, particularly right now, but anytime someone is going to go up for a hearing on Capitol Hill that's been nominated by this administration, their background is going to be gone over with a fine-tooth comb almost more so by the media who are going to be keeping an eye on these things than by those who nominated him, it seems. Like with uh, Ronnie Jackson, we can use as an example of that, where the nominee seemed to have a whole bunch of stuff in his background that you would think they would have found out about if they did their due diligence, and it didn't come out until a couple days before he was supposed to have a hearing, and then that was postponed, and then he ended up, of course, not being nominated, and there's some sort of investigation in the Navy going on into Admiral Ronnie Jackson. I haven't heard any updates on that, but yeah, this is one of those things where you're going to be put through the ringer, and that's part of the problem with finding people to fill positions like that. Who would want to go through that? Jake, would you want to go through a nomination process where they're searching everything from your history that they could possibly find? No way. Too many skeletons in the closet, man. Yeah. I mean, just about everybody does. 
when you get up to this point, you've been working in uh, high positions like Wilkie has for a long time. As we talked to Justin Brown from Hill Vets yesterday, he was a former congressional aide, made his name on Capitol Hill, got a government um, uh, appointment from that, and kind of worked his way up. This is a guy who's been fairly well connected to a lot of important people, a lot of political people. Of course, those political people oftentimes have programs and views that the other political side doesn't care for, so that can be used against him. Again, it's not expected that this stuff is going to, you know, torpedo his uh, his candidacy for secretary of the VA, but certainly something worth keeping an eye on and certainly something that's going to be discussed because, as we've seen, everything is political these days, even secretary of the VA, which you would hope would be generally a non-political position, but with the controversy over privatization of the VA, there's even controversy over exactly what privatization of the VA even means. There are different definitions that people have for it. It's uh, it's something that's absolutely worth keeping an eye on and that we certainly will hear. But by the time we're here tomorrow morning, I think we'll have a pretty darn good idea of whether Robert Wilkie is in fact going to be the next secretary of the VA or not course i believe you can uh, search for information they may even have live streaming of the confirmation hearing yeah. and stuff like that going on i online. believe our own matt saint singh is going to be at the confirmation hearing so yeah, be, you'll get some live tweets from him live tweets from him as well as of course i'm sure there will be stories coming out of that there's uh there's a lot going on in the world of veterans affairs and uh unfortunately right now not much of it is good i mean we've got someone setting themselves on fire in front of the uh, uh the state capitol in atlanta and then we've got Questions about another VA secretary nominee, although these don't seem to be as serious questions. These seem to be more along the line of, well, he was affiliated with politicians that I don't like. Okay. That's going to be the case for about 50% of the country, it would seem. <laughs> Here's another thing that's up on ConnectingVets.com that I want to talk about, and that is Tattoo You. This is looking around our team of veterans here at ConnectingVets.com and looking at some of the tattoos that we have and then, well, the stories behind those tattoos. So, Jake, yours is up here, this uh, this little uh, very metal tattoo that you have on yes. your arm on the right shoulder, I believe. Explain that tattoo. What is the design that, the, the that design I'm looking at right here? The design is based on two things. Uh, the first one is the skull, obviously, is a stylized version of the Metallica, quote-unquote, scary guy, yeah. a drawing that James Hetfield did once, and uh, sort of came an unofficial mascot of them. And then also it's based on the uh, the Lutheran cross, which is the original version is a cross with a rose petal in the middle, but I decided I wanted to have the metal thing in the middle to represent the two things most important besides my family, and that is God and music. Yeah, well, there you go. And I've got one on there with... Uh, uh, one of the tattoos that I have on my right arm, which is actually a two-part tattoo. So I had the first part, which was one that just, you know, 18, 19-year-old kid at uh, at A school, so straight out of boot camp, and I'm in the Navy now. Time to get a tattoo. And I just picked one off the wall that I liked the uh, I liked the design of, essentially. So, yeah, it was one of those uh, pre, pre-designed tattoos that you just pick off of the wall. And then the second part of that, coming off of it, I had done actually at a house party over in Sicily, and it was done by a veteran of the Italian army who may have had a couple of drinks that night. <laughs> so it's not perfect. The lines on it aren't perfect, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that it's got that little bit of DIY yeah, personality yeah, to it's it. It's got some character to it. And it's got the flags of the United States and Iceland. Um, of course, the United States flag, as Phil Briggs points out in the article, only has... 
uh, nine stars and let's see how many stripes one two three four five six seven eight you don't know your own tattoo off the top of your head oh i haven't counted it in a long long time i'm sure i did at some point so we've got that one on there and then of course matt saintsing has uh I, I don't even know. It's all the planets in the solar system and then some tea kettle that's glowing next to them. Uh, apparently, you can find out exactly what that means by checking out the story right there on ConnectingVets.com. One thing that Phil asked me about and didn't include in the story, I think there's going to be a podcast attached to it that it may be included in, was the worst tattoo I saw oh, Lord, this story. while I was in the military. But what, let me ask you first. Do you remember any bad tattoos that you saw? I would think being a drill sergeant that you would have seen probably quite a few of the kids that came through with pretty bad artwork on them. Yeah, we did have to do a tattoo check to make sure they didn't have any like extremist tattoos. But the two that pop, there's two that pop in my or three that pop in my mind. The first one is one of the, my fellow drill sergeants had a sleeve on his right arm that was all dedicated to Sony video games. Really? Yeah, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, Some people well, thought it was tacky. I thought it was really you cool. You would. Yeah, I know. Of course, of course I do. I'm a Sony fanboy. There you but go. Anyway, the the two worst ones I can remember is the one was a tank commander in my second unit that had a tank's heat round tattooed on his left forearm and a sabo round on his right forearm. And when asked why he got this, he would say, because if the heat don't get you, the sabo will. Well, there you go. Boy, That's did he have a lifer mustache too? Yes. Yes, of course he did. Yeah. How did I predict that? And then one? the other one was uh, <laughs> when you're a tanker, you wear a, a Nomex jumpsuit, and it has our. Uh, That's all, just the Nomex jumpsuit. I like to hey, picture that. Hey, in 135 degrees, <laughs> yeah, it's all you wear. But anyway, on there you have your uh, your name tape and your U.S. Army tape where they normally are, and then you have your rank right above your name. And a guy got that tattooed on his body as an E6, mm. and then he got a DUI and got busted down to E2. Wow. And he still had the E6 tattoo. Yeah, I think that, you know, as far as it comes to getting your rank tattooed on you, I don't think you want to do that until you are out of the service and that rank is permanent because there's a lot of things that can change in both directions. You could go up one, you could go down a couple, there are, uh, and then you'll look kind of silly. It's like the old, uh, I think there was a, a commercial of a guy getting a tattoo where he was like, he was a football player. He got the Miami Dolphins tattoo, and then he was found out he was traded to another team as they finished the tattoo. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, what are you going to do? That's the kind of issue that you can come up with. When I think of tattoos in the military, I think of, well, at boot camp, there was uh, a young man who was uh, an immigrant to the United States from Cambodia, and I noticed some tattoos. He had like full sleeve tattoos on both arms. This was back in the day when you could do that. I mean, we had a guy in my division from Oregon, I think he was. I think, wow, I think I can even remember his name, but not going to say it here because don't need to. He had spider webs tattooed on the inside of his ears. What? Yeah, this guy had full body tattoos, this one guy. But the one from Cambodia, I was looking at one of his arms and I was like, huh, does that say Khmer Rouge? The Khmer Rouge, of course, was the uh, governing body, shall we say, that committed atrocities and war crimes in Cambodia. I apparently wasn't the only one who noticed that. Someone else did uh, who had pictures of the tattoos because they had to take pictures of all of them. They're supposed to do that with the recruiters and maps, but sometimes they don't. Then it's the responsibility of the people at boot camp. And it turned out that a bunch of the tattoos he had proved that he had been a member of the military arm of the Khmer Rouge, which was... A horrifying thing. I mean, the killing fields of Cambodia, notorious. There are, there were hundreds of thousands of people who were executed, many of them just for uh, being educated 
some people for wearing glasses because that was a sign that you were one of the intelligentsia, that you were one of the uh, educated class and thought you were better than the working man, so you had to be killed. I mean, this is this is the insanity that was going on over there. Um, you know, another thing that you could ask uh, somebody like, say, Spencer Rapone about, like, how do, how do you... Uh how do you rectify oh, that? He'll tell you that wasn't real communism. No, it wasn't. Of course, when they uh, when they start eliminating everybody who's uh, who's in a class that they decide is no good, then that's certainly not that. Um, yeah, so it's it's very interesting. Of course, Khmer Rouge means uh, like Red Brigade or Red Army or something like that. So it's uh, it's um, th- that one pops into my mind as well as the guy with the spider webs tattooed in his ears. Tattoos on his fingers. This guy had tattoos everywhere. Yeah. When I was when I was in basic training, we we, we uh, went during the Christmas season to we a Christmas exodus two weeks off, which I can consider myself very lucky for that. But uh, one of the big rules they impress upon us is don't get a tattoo. Don't get a tattoo. And we had this guy in our platoon. I can't remember his name, but I know he sounded exactly like Forrest Gump. Yeah, but. He went home and came back with a dragon tattoo on his forearm that wrapped around his hand. And it's like, dude, that was the one rule they told us. Yeah. And he goes, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's essentially, uh, that's essentially what a lot of people decide for their tattoos. They thought it was cool. Sometimes they regret those, and that brings me to my favorite awful tattoo story. <laughs> Being stationed in Guam, standing watch on the quarterdeck of the USS Frank Cable, and the young, I think he was a, a fireman at the time. So that's an E3 who works in a certain rating, like uh, damage controlman, hull technician, something like that. This kid comes up and he's standing on the quarterdeck and I look over and I'm already paying attention to him because he was a few minutes late that day, which uh, that's not cool. When I'm running the quarterdeck and you're late, hey man, I was able to show up on time. You got to be able to show up on time too, especially because all he had to do was literally stand there and then do what I told him. There was no uh, difficult part of the watch that he had to do. And I look over and of course we're in a tropical place in Guam. And I can't remember if he was wearing the peanut butters, the black and tans that we would wear, or the uh, the working. No, the working whites were no more at that point, so it had to have been the black and tans. I look over and I see a tattoo, and I call him over, and I'm like, "What is that on your arm?" It was the logo of television magician Chris Angel. <laughs> I looked at him with a look of confusion, disgust, and awe. Confusion because. Who's getting some, unless it's something like the Simpsons, it's been on for 30 years and is a part of just the cultural uh, fabric of the United States or South Park or something like that. Or uh, I guess, I don't know, you could go back and pick a number of TV shows or something like that. But a reality show featuring a magician that by that point, I think may have already been off the air. I was so confused as to why someone would do that. The look of horror and disgust was Oh my God, you got the tattoo of some creepy, like, eyeshadow wearing magician from Long Island. I, why would, what? Who does that? This is horrifying. And then also the awe because, my goodness, that takes some guts. That reminds me of some of the bad tattoos that you would see that people would get on purpose. Like a guy who I got to meet uh, when he was visiting the studios here to talk to the guys over at the sports radio station across the way, Steve O from Jackass. Steve O had. A giant tattoo on his back of himself giving two thumbs up and it says, yeah, dude, I rock with his signature underneath it. And even better than that, 
actually has a, uh, a little bit of a military connection because I think it may have been done in a, uh, a Humvee or a Jeep, one or the other, on a driving course while Henry Rollins, of course, former lead singer of Black Flag, well-known writer, spoken word artist, musician, was driving it at a high rate of speed over these speed bumps as it was bouncing as a tattoo artist attempted to give uh, Steve-O a happy face tattoo on his arm that came out totally looking like a happy face. But... Bad tattoos, when they're intentionally bad, when you get them with the intent of it being ridiculous, that I can understand. So I, I asked the kid, like, is did he get this as some sort of ironic joke or something like that? Like, if I were to get the cast of Friends tattooed across my chest, that would be as a joke. It would be a permanent joke, but it would be a pretty interesting and funny one. He said, and I quote, no, man, I, I just really like Chris Angel. Okay. I don't know. Did, did that tattoo maybe get him free access to Chris Angel's performances in Las Vegas or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. Worst tattoo I ever saw, not in person, but I ever saw on the internet, was a guy who got black rim glasses tattooed across his face. Here's the thing. Anyone who gets a tattoo above the neckline and particularly on the face, uh, that's someone who you just want to be very wary of. That, yes. that requires a level of not caring that takes it to... Uh, just just a different place with the exception of professional musicians artists and athletes there are very few jobs that you can do with tattoos on your face yeah like this kid never wants to have a career no or you, you know what there are some careers like working on uh, cars and motorcycles and things like that i mean there are things that you can do with that but i don't know whenever i see someone with a neck or face tattoo I just have some questions about what they've, what the decision-making process that they go through. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to speak to the American Legion about GI Bill Week. Of course, they were instrumental in the creation of the GI Bill and more. And then later on, we're going to speak to Tori Scotty, Navy reservist and personal trainer with Tori Marie Fitness, her own company. All of that's coming up, so stick around. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Morning Briefing. Super producer JQ is here, sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is off doing some stuff, whatever he's working on. No, he's doing fantastic stuff for the veteran community, so he's doing that. So I'm here. Before we get started, I want to remind you once again to check out the website, ConnectingVets.com, your one-stop shop for all things military and veteran-related. And make sure you follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest news and information going on in the veteran community. As soon as something pops off, we'll let you know because we are the veteran community. Everyone that works here at ConnectingVets.com is either a veteran or veteran adjacent. Being a military spouse, a member of the National Guard, because we all know they're not the real military. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Calm down. And uh, so, yeah, follow us. You'll get the latest and greatest, and it'll be awesome. Speaking of awesome, it's Wednesday. Which means it's time for us to talk with the American Legion. And I'm joined by someone very, very important, Larry Lohman. And remind me about your title. Assistant Director of Legislation. Uh, definitely not that important, but we'll hey, take care of it. If you're here, it's important. Okay. okay. I'm here for you. 
Yeah, exactly. There you go. So we're talking about a lot of things going on, and I read in the email y'all sent that your uh, American Legion members of Congress recognize the National GI Bill Week. What exactly is that? National GI Bill Week is just celebrating the 74th anniversary of the GI Bill. Uh, it was originally authored by one of our past national commanders, uh, Colmery. Uh, the latest version of the GI Bill was actually named the Colmery GI Bill. And uh, originally back in 1944, he spent about five months holed up in the Mayflower Hotel and spent some time writing down on napkins and hotel stationery the original <laughs> GI Bill. Um, and so we're celebrating that because it had such a tremendous economic impact shaping the the way America is today. You know, uh, nearly uh, $7 return on the, every dollar invested on that program came back in a form of economic growth or tax revenue. So it was a very big program and one that we see continued on in tradition in the Colmery GI Bill now. Okay, so now the only thing I've heard the new GI Bill calls the Forever GI Bill, but it's officially called the, what was the name again? The Colmery GI Bill. Colmery? Yes. Okay. I did not know that. See, you learn something new every day. Well, it does have some good branding from uh, the Forever GI Bill, and the reason it's called the Forever GI Bill is because it used to have sort of an arbitrary 15-year cap that once you got out of the military, you couldn't use it after your 15 years you were gone, and uh, we found that, you know, most people find that they might have a job when they first leave the military, but they, they could actually use those benefits further down the road, so... It made it forever, and so it removed that 15-year cap, and that's why it got the forever moniker. Okay. Um, tell me something. Why did the Legion feel it was important to recognize this year particularly? Just because it was the 74th anniversary, or is there some other significance to it? I think it does come sort of it piggybacks on the passing of the Colmery GI Bill last year and sort of also just recognizing the, the potential benefits that come with this new program. It also builds on the legacy of, of the program and the tradition and because that the, the new GI Bill is so expansive that we feel it's going to create this new eco economic opportunities, not only for veterans, but it also stimulates growth in the economy and it's money well spent by the taxpayer that, you know, money, that money comes back in the form of jobs, revenue, and just good skilled workforce. So it's something that we believe uh, does a good thing by just recognizing the, the people that have put into it and what what the country itself has gotten from the GI Bill. Right. It's an investment in these veterans that can get them, like you said, high-skilled workers. So uh, let's see. Can you walk me through exactly what new language was put in the GI Bill with the, the Colmery GI Bill? Uh, sure. So like we said, it ended the 15-year limit on G GI Bill usage so that you can use it basically any time after you leave the military. Um, and that goes – into effect for starting with service members that after they left in 2013. Um, it provided GI Bill eligibility for reservists undergoing medical care, uh, full GI Bill benefit plans for Purple Heart recipients regardless of length of service because if you're wounded serving your country, it doesn't matter if you hit your 36 months, you should have full benefits. I mean, if you were fragged, you right. should deserve, <laughs> like it seems like you should, it seems like a common sense thing that didn't, didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, to not be there in the first place. Uh, it also extended yellow ribbon program benefits to Fry Scholarship recipients, which are children that had uh, lost a parent, Gold Star families that were impacted uh, previously had not been able to qualify for yellow ribbon programs. And this just said that, you know, if you qualify for the GI Bill, then you should also be able to get the, uh, the yellow ribbon uh, matching funds. And that helps a lot of families that were previously unable to receive those benefits after having lost a loved one in service. Um, 
This also restores GI Bill benefits to students who experience permanent school closures while enrolled, and that was a big issue last year, and it did that for uh, a number of people that are impacted, Josh, uh, school, schools of law, and then obviously uh, all the big closures, they all got, they got reimbursed money that they had lost and the benefits. So it was a big impact there. Um, it also increased uh, GI Bill payments for uh, veterans with less than 12 months of active service. They saw their just general increases go up. It, it had about 38 different provisions that sort of just raised everything for everybody and did a lot of fixes that had been needed needed to be corrected from the original post-911 GI Bill. Okay. So do you think that this current version of the GI Bill is the one? Like, is it the unicorn, the everything we wanted in it? It's not everything we wanted. It's got a lot of – we'd still like to see some uh, expansion and growth into uh, providing uh, small business opportunities for uh, people that, you know, maybe don't – look. they're not looking at going into secondary education or they, they would like – they don't need a college education. There are some vocational uses that they could go to. Uh, say you could get start small business uh, startup money uh, would be a good thing that we'd like to see where veterans would be able to take uh, some benefits that they've earned but would not likely use it going into a you know liberal arts program and could use it to start a business and get some funding there. We'd like to see a benefit like that. Okay. Uh, how much do you know about the history of the GI Bill? Like what was in the original? Like Because I assume that it was something very – simple uh what it basically did was it provided money for education and allowed a small housing stipend um but the big impact there was that it allowed about 2.2 million veterans coming back from world war ii uh to go to school and there's been studies done and likely 40 percent of those uh, students that went coming back from world war ii likely never would have attended college without the benefit so what it did was it expanded the the workforce in America by making it more educated, and it gave us able workers. Uh, Senator Carper came to the event uh, last Wednesday, and he often tells a story about he himself was a GI Bill recipient, but he talks about his dad, who you know was a, a veteran, got out World War II, and uh, started after going to college, started at Nationwide Insurance, and eventually became the nationwide manager of Nationwide Insurance, and it was all just built on the back of GI Bill. And it's just oh, wow. one of many examples that, you know, it put people in places that, you know, eventually his son came, went on to be a senator from the state of Delaware. So, Okay, so the American Legion is pushing the recognition of the GI Bill week. I'm wondering, has this been exclusively y'all or have other VSOs sort of chimed in and tried to help as the well? The entire VSO community uh, supported the forever GI Bill. Uh, I think uh, initially, instrumentally, uh, Colmery was the one that initially put this into work in 1944, but the Forever GI Bill is obviously one that uh, a number of VSOs, VFW, uh, Student Veterans of America, very prominent in pushing forth Got Your Six. Everybody worked very hard, Wounded Warrior Project, number of people. Okay. So all the VSOs, uh, literally a room, I think, uh, at one point of 45 to 50 VSOs sitting there, generally arm-in-arm supporting it, pushing it through the hill. All right. So... June 18th to the 22nd is National GI Bill Commemoration Week. So how are we commemorating it? Like, are there going to be, like, events, or is it just sort of a week of shining a spotlight? So right now there is a, a tour that's going around uh, America that is – it's a touring, basically, exhibit that you can go and see GI the, the pin that the 
was originally used to sign the original legislation that created it. And it, it's basically on loan from the World War II Museum. And it's American Legion is putting it around and putting it in different places. You can look up and see where, where this exhibit is. But uh, for the week, we mostly had a reception on the Hill and I thanked the people that had passed it originally. And there will probably be some sort of major commemoration when we go uh, hit the 75th anniversary next year. And I think the VA and most of the VSOs will probably partner together to really do a big deal for that. But this year it was mostly just to get it started with the recognition of that it's happened and then also sort of, you know, we have this exhibit that is traveling. And so you can look up uh, the Legion and look up where to find the uh, the tour. Okay. Um, the GI Bill, the, the original Montgomery GI Bill, uh, first of all, why was it called the Montgomery GI Bill? Do you know? Uh, the original GI Bill was not actually called the Montgomery GI Bill. The Montgomery GI Bill was named after the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee in the 70s when they passed the new bill. Uh, the Montgomery GI Bill was a little bit different. I think it's one of the, that uh, when I served, uh, that's the what, what we had when we came in, which was a, it was a much smaller amount of money. It was like a set stipend you'd get no matter what uh, per, per month you were enrolled but the Montgomery GI Bill was named after the uh, the congressman that was chairman of the committee. Oh, okay. See, again, I'm learning so much today. You're like a teacher. I love it. It's great. So, what kind of schooling is covered by the GI Bill? Like, I know, I know, obviously, secondary education, so, like college and stuff. But what about stuff like vocational schools or certifications? What kind of so? Yeah, the new GI Bill uh, created some pilot programs for high technology and computer programming courses. There's some pilot programs that came out of that. Uh, generally, it's anything that uh, is certified and can uh, it's by a, an accredited uh, a credentialing service. There are limits on what you can do, and there should be because we don't want people using taxpayer money inappropriately. But uh, it, it, it did a lot to increase uh, education benefits for the premium science, technology, engineering, and math degrees. So it really it, it created an additional amount of money that could be sought for STEM degree-seeking students that can draw for them, uh, draw from, and that was a big issue that we would we pursued so that people that pursue these advanced degrees in these critical areas that we need, like engineering, could get additional money and complete their education because sometimes you're unable to complete those kinds of degrees in 36 months. So Okay. Okay. Well, here's a question I just thought of. So we mentioned that this, the GI Bill, or the, the Forever GI Bill doesn't have everything you'd want. So is this an ongoing process that you're going to keep pushing for as in the American Legion? Oh, we, we always continue to work on it, uh, especially uh, we like to, to see the, the benefits for reservists put into place. We like to see, uh, like I said, the small business opportunities that look into the secondary training, the vocational training uh, that, you know, some members when they separate have just, it's more advantageous for them to pursue those kind of career paths and they're definitely needed jobs. So those are the kind of things we're going to avenues we're going to pursue. But this was a very comprehensive bill that did a lot of things to completely fix the old program. And I, I can't say completely fixed, but obviously it eradicated a number of the problems that had come up. And it just really, really did a number of things. It was an omni package, really, that centered around education. It was thirty-eight, thirty. It was, it was more than thirty-eight provisions that just fixed the the current GI Bill from the, the post nine eleven. Yeah. Now, as I understand it, this was. Main. This was passed almost. Was there any pushback from any? Like, we had very to get it passed? overwhelming uh, support uh, in 
in both houses. It was unanimous consent in the Senate, and so unanimous is pretty good. So everybody was behind it. Okay, well that's always good to hear because primarily, yeah, well, yeah, primarily for for the most part, veteran issues tend to go over, you know, rather uh, bipartisanly. And speaking of that, we're going to change gears a little bit here. Uh, last night, the House unanimously, in a rare act of true bipartisanship, passed the uh, Blue Water Navy bill, which reinstated benefits to the Blue Water Navy exposed to Agent Orange. Can you speak on that? Yeah, it impacts about 90,000 sailors uh, who served off the coast of in the Vietnam War. Um, so troops previously who had served uh, on the ground in Vietnam or patrolled inland rivers during the war are assumed to have been working with Agent Orange. And so everybody that had been uh, in the Navy that had working just off the shore and still obviously had this exposure to Agent Orange, which, you know, causes all of these uh, horrible respiratory cancers, Parkinson's, you know, heart disease, uh, had had this exposure, had uh, previously had their funding cut off back in 2002. So it's been this uh, long struggle to make sure that these benefits were reinstated. Um, so it's nice to see that the the House has moved forward, and we're hoping that uh, Senator Isaacson will be able to pull this up and uh, get it get it going here after we conclude with the Wilkie confirmation. Okay, so the big push was for the Agent Orange. Is that per- ex- okay? <laughs> Let me find my words. Figure out how to word this exactly. What exactly benefits were reinstated to them? So. Previously, it's just it's the healthcare benefits that have been inferred to other agent or uh, victims. Basically, it's just the presumption that you were given that if you were inland, you would be given the benefits that you, the association the, with the types of uh, ailments that are associated with Agent Orange. What this does, it extends those same uh, the same benefits to Blue Water Navy sailors that were station just off the coast so it, it just it gives the presumption to everyone it makes veteran vietnam veterans equal people that had suffered the same sort of exposure get the same benefit of the doubt okay now you mentioned uh robert wilkie and we'll switch gears we'll maybe come back to the the blue water navy well i'm going to talk about robert wilkie he is currently the acting secretary of the va and in somewhat recent news, uh, President Trump pushed him forward as his official nominee to lead the VA. Let's start basic. What does the American Legion think about Robert Wilkie? Well, we don't have an opinion. Uh, we, we don't put one candidate over another. That's not our job. What we do is we like to go out and work with whoever they put forward. Uh, it does appear that Wilkie is a very qualified candidate. Uh, he's already been confirmed uh, in his current position the Pentagon as the Undersecretary for uh, Personnel and Readiness. So I, I think we look forward to working with him. I think we, we've had good success so far in his interim capacity. We managed to get the Mission Act through and uh, that legislation, which bodes well. Uh, his background seems to be uh, one in line with somebody that understands military issues and also the comprehensive nature of the the VA, just how big of an umbrella that it, it really is because he's been running it for a couple months. And also he's a he's a currently an Air Force reservist, in the, he's a colonel in the Air Force uh, Reserve. He was a former Navy, Navy reservist, and he's the, uh, the son of an, an Army veteran. And I think you start seeing somebody with those ex- those experiences and those life experiences. You can see somebody that has a, a good uh, resume to deal with in issues that had and understands what a military family goes through and can be in the right position to uh, to head that agency. Okay, so 
What's the next step for Robert Wilkie? I mean, as I know we're still waiting. Do we know when his confirmation hearings are going to start? So his confirmation hearings start tomorrow, and I think uh, the biggest issues that we're looking at will probably be uh, his views on privatization. Uh, we have concerns about that. Uh, about one-third of all medical appointments uh, paid for by the VA last year took place in hospitals and clinics outside its own federal system, and that's likely to increase this year with the expansion of the Choice Program. So we at the Legion definitely are, are, are one of our things is we definitely want to preserve the VA system. We, we have a, a program called The System We're Saving, and we, we, we believe the, pres- the preservation of the VA system is something that's important to make sure that it's there for future generations, and we're against privatization. And I, I think, uh, well, the Mission Act the expanded choice and uh, does things for uh, community care programs, we still are very concerned that the VA is instrumental in making sure that there is health care for veterans. And so we want to make sure that the VA is always involved in that step. And VA doctors have the uh, opportunity to refer people uh, for the medicine they need. And so I think that's a big thing that we'll focus on and primarily is privatization, is we want to make sure that the VA is is not privatized and we want to make sure that the system is preserved. Um, I think beyond that, vacancies will be a huge issue. Uh, the department has seen numerous high-profile lower level departments in recent months, leaving a host of vacancies. Uh, nearly 9% of the people that are supposed to be working at the VA aren't. So they have a lot of capacity issues that we, we, we we're concerned about where if you're missing almost 10% of your workforce, what's the drop off in healthcare for veterans. And so we want to see them uh, work on filling those vacancies. Okay. So I'm, not trying to derail the conversation too much, but when you talk about privatization, my thing is I, for the most part, I am against privatization as well. I think that the VA is a system that is worth saving. But what the problem comes when sometimes there are better qualified doctors outside the VA system. So is what do you think the best way forward is? Do you think it's trying to hire better doctors or expand the choice program? How do you argue critics who are in favor of privatization who say that there is better care in the private sector and that a big argument is that veterans should have the choice of their own health care? Well, we do want access for veterans to have health care, and that's what choice does. Choice does allow uh, veterans that especially in rural areas or places that aren't accessible to VA hospitals – to, to get the health care they need. And we're always in favor of the veteran getting the best health care they can. Uh, but there also is this idea that you have the system that it, it needs oversight. And th- that's one thing that's important, and that's why Wilkie's confirmation is so important. We feel like we made great strides with uh, Secretary Shulkin when he was in uh, the position of secretary. And one of the reasons he was a holdover was because he did work very well with veterans and we feel like they were going in the right direction. So it made sense to keep him there at that time. And that's one thing that we'll continue to do with Wilkie is the continued oversight and making the agency a better place. And the idea that yeah, it hasn't been effective. I mean, from 2014 with the wait list, I mean, everyone's still recovering from that. And that's still one of the impediments that Wilkie's going to face is that there's still a stigma with the system but that's why we have the program, the system we're saving, is it's something that we feel that if it was actually operated properly, it's something that veterans will utilize. And, and our statistics overwhelmingly reflect that veterans prefer VA care when it's working properly because it's affordable. So it's the reason it's the most the system's worth saving is because it's affordable. And the reason that uh, we can't have the privatization is it's 
largely unsustainable. Economically, it would cost so much money to do it. And frankly, veterans don't prefer it. Overwhelmingly, they choose VA when they, they're asked what they would rather have. Okay. All right. So moving forward, let's say right now Robert Wilkie was confirmed as the VA secretary. What are the issues that the American Legion would bring to him first? Like what is, what is the first thing you would say, Mr. Secretary, we need to work on blank? Vacancies would definitely be the first thing that need to be addressed. Uh, we need quality health care providers in place. And that's one of the things that would definitely sustain the VA is making sure that they have that once veterans know that they have a good place that they can get medicine, they'll continue to go there. That's a no-brainer. Um, other significant issues needing attention would be uh, the electronic health record contract needs addressing. Um, there needs to be a full implement, implementation of the telehealth program, uh, improvement of the White House VA hotline. Uh, Many veterans say they never hear back after initial calls, and so it's just sort of like being responsive and understanding that they have a, a responsibility to the patient to get back to them. Um, completion of my VA website, giving uh, patients access to get into the program and make sure that they can access their records and do their appointments, making sure that they can just manage everything appropriately. So it's sort of like an interfacing number of issues that would be uh, need to be addressed, and that's why the leadership vacancy is so concerning. Okay. Let me ask you this, and this might be getting into the realm of opinion, but I think it's important. Do you think Robert Wilkie will be confirmed? Yes, I think it likely be confirmed considering it was confirmed for his previous post in November. I'd say – I don't see any flags, but I, I mean it's speculating and that's not my job. Right. And I don't have a preference whether or not he is, but I mean I think – it seems like we've had a good working relationship and I, I feel like uh, everything he said is that he's not wanting to privatize the VA – I think that that's a huge concern that Democrats will have when they they he comes before the panel because of the recent legislation uh, sort of like drawn back the privatization move. So I I feel like there's a very good chance that he'll enjoy bipartisan support. Okay. So one last question: We've got the VA. We got the Montgomery or not Montgomery. The GI Bill week. We got Blue Water Navy Pass. We're getting Wilkie through this thing. What's the next step for the VA? I mean, I mean, for the American Legion. I keep calling you the VA for some reason. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll continue to do the same things we're doing, which is monitoring closely the VA. We'll continue to push for other legislation. Uh, currently watching uh, some movement in NDA. There's some concerning language on TRICARE uh, that we've been watching, and we're going to continue to work on just a number of issues in the healthcare uh, area. So. I think those are the kind of issues we'll look at. But right now, uh, we're working on uh, working. Sorry, use working like seven times. Working, working, <laughs> working. Uh, we um, some military families would see uh, some copays decrease under a Senate proposal in the NDA, uh, but we're, we're, retirees under the age of sixty-five would see a major fee hike, and we're really concerned with watching some of the the language in that. And so we want to see that go to committee and make sure that. Uh, that, that language is stripped out because we don't want to see an increase in co-pays or an increase in rates. Okay. So if people want to learn more about the American Legion and their policies and what it is you're doing, where can they go? AmericanLegion.org. Just look us up and that's where you go. Okay. Follow us on Twitter. Larry Lohman, thank you so much for stopping by the show, man. We really appreciate it. All right. You're listening to The Morning Briefing. We shall return right after this. 
helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and ConnectingVets.com. That's your website. Entercom's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day through a variety of platforms. Videos? Well, you know we do a video every day before this show on our Facebook page, right? A little Facebook live video to let you know what we're going to talk about. We've got that, but we've also got a lot more in the video world. How about when I and Phil Briggs, or Phil Briggs and I, went out hunting with retired Navy SEAL Don Shipley and Marine Corps double amputee and amazing inspiration Rob Jones, as well as Ben Kiernan, also a Marine Corps veteran. Yeah, we've got video of that up on the site and oh, so much more. And that's just the video. There's also articles, podcasts, this live program, and oh, so much more. And it's all available for you and focusing on you at ConnectingVets.com. You can also find us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest served on active duty in the United States Navy and currently serves in the United States Reserves. United States Navy Reserves, I should say. (laughs) She's also a full time personal trainer. So we're going to talk to her about what it's like going from active duty in the military to serving in the reserves while also kind of living that veteran life outside. And then of course, with her being a personal trainer, we're going to talk about how I can shed off some of the fat that I've gathered over the last seven years since I left the Navy. Our guest right now is Tori Scotty. Tori, good morning. How are you today? Hey, good morning, Eric. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. First off, I want to ask you about your service, just the Cliff Notes version. I understand you were an officer in my beloved United States Navy, so tell us a little bit about how you uh, came to join the Navy and, and, and your time serving on active duty and, and now currently in the reserves. Um, well, I was a student at Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, senior year, not really sure what I wanted to do exactly. I had different job offers, nothing that excited me um, as much as the thought of joining the military. Being a part of something bigger than myself, uh, a lot of patriotism in my family. So I joined the United States Navy as a Supply Corps officer. My background was in marketing, so it was a fit for me. Um, Served on the USS Monterey in Virginia, and then did shore duty at the Naval Medical Center in San Diego um, for my last tour before I got out of active duty. I'm a reservist now, and I just began that journey. So <laughs> more more to be shared on that as I as I continue with the reserves and learn more about it. It's kind of interesting always to talk to people who go from active duty to the reserves and talk about that transition where, you know, when I took off the uniform for the last time, I did not go into the reserves. I did my 13 years. I was done with the military, moved into full-time veteran civilian status. When you go into the reserves, it's a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. You're living that civilian life. Of course, you started your own business, Tori Marie Fitness. As we mentioned, you're a personal trainer, but you're still doing one weekend a month, two weeks a year. You're deployable as a reservist. What has the experience been like going from the 24-7 Navy life to the uh, the not 24-7 Navy life? Well, I will say that being a 24-7 Navy prior to beginning my own business has been such a help to me in terms of um, I, I feel like the work ethic 
and the drive and the attention to detail that I've learned as a supply core officer, actively all kind of rolled over into my business and have been very successful with my own personal training business in San Diego. I attribute a lot of that to my experiences in the military. Um, the reserves I decided to do because I didn't want to completely take off the uniform. I wanted to still be a part of the Navy, but I was so passionate about personal training and starting my own business that I had to find a way that I could do both. Um, I couldn't be doing, building my own business as a full-time active duty sailor, so the reserves was a fit for me. Um, I've had one weekend so far because my transition was pretty recent from active duty to the reserves. And I look forward to opportunities to still do some deployments as a reservist. Um, But what that allows for me to do is build my business. And then when I deploy, uh, for example, I can work with online clients still because that'll be something that I've already built uh, beforehand. So that's kind of what that, uh, where that decision came from to join the reserves and still pursue my passion of uh, being a personal trainer and trying to make a difference for as many people as I can um, you know, so that they can have more enjoyable and healthy lives living in beautiful San Diego. That's a place where you want to be in good shape because everybody's, I've only been out there a couple of times. Everybody seems to be running around without their shirts on and hanging out at the beach all the time. <laughs> so if you're packed on the extra pounds like me, you know, living in the Northeast where it's cold in the wintertime, uh, you, you don't fit in all that well. When it comes to moving from active duty and still serving in the reserves and having to focus on your business full-time and then on your reserve career when need be, have you found any difficulty in, in being able to transition between the two? Or if not, what has been able to keep you from finding that difficulty when transitioning between your current uh, full-time civilian life and then your part-time military life? I think that it could be difficult, and it, it can be just being so busy all the time to make my business successful and focused on it 24-7, seven days a week when I wake up, when I go to bed. But I enjoy it so much that it doesn't feel like a chore to me. Um, the difficulty would be, um, for example, when a drill weekend comes about or I need to go do some training. I have one coming up, I believe, uh, is going to be happening for a week in July, for example. So on my end, I just have to make sure that my in-person clients in San Diego are um, okay with scheduling a little bit differently that week while I'm gone, and then we put together a plan for them that they can complete on their own when I'm not here to guide them. Um, so, yes, it can be kind of difficult, but I have to learn to prioritize and work with my clients and be very um, open communicating with them about what I'm doing as a reservist. And they're, I, everybody that I train with, are they're wonderful people. So they're really happy for me to still be um, working in the Navy as well. And we always make it, we make it happen. When it comes to being a business owner, of course, you started your own business, Tori Marie Fitness, as you mentioned, out in San Diego, helping people get in shape so they can go out to the beach and not be embarrassed and enjoy everything that San Diego has to <laughs> offer. You're now a small business owner, and while you were an officer in the Navy Reserves, you're not an admiral. You're not a captain. You're, you're a lieutenant in the Navy. Is it ever difficult for you to uh, not be the overall boss when you put that uniform back on? And which do you prefer? Do you prefer having control of everything with your own business, or do you prefer uh, the military uh, style where there's checks and balances, where you're in charge of some things and not in charge of others? That's a, that's a tough question because I see uh, – the benefit to both sides of that question. 
Um, as a business owner, I appreciate that I get to make all final decisions for my business, but I am oftentimes talking with other personal trainers, other business owners, um, people with a marketing background, you know, to get some feedback and, and I collaborate with people, other trainers, for example, uh, to make my business successful. So I can't even attribute all of my success as a business owner to, to me 100%. Um, I work hard at it, but I've had a lot of help from people who support me. Um, I find that in the Navy, being a lieutenant, having my sailors um, who work for me that also support me, um, and then having senior officers that I may go to uh, for guidance or as mentors, that's a, it's kind of the same thing. I've taken that sort of concept and applied it to my personal training business. I'm not afraid to ask for help. And I think the key is being able to work well with others because, like I said, even though I'm a sole proprietorship, I'm my own business owner. I do a lot of collaboration with other trainers in San Diego. We're speaking with Tori Scotty. Tori is an officer in the Navy Reserves and also the owner of Tori Marie Fitness. That's her full-time job. She's a personal fitness trainer. After leaving active duty and stepping into a reserve role, started her own business. Tori, when did the idea for the business, Tori Marie Fitness, come to be? And what made you so interested in the personal trainer uh, lifestyle and career opportunity? Well, I've always been interested in um, fitness and athleticism due to my background. Um, When I was at Bradley University, I was doing cheerleading. When I was younger, I was a gymnast. So I've always done things like that. I joined the Navy. I wanted to maintain my level of fitness because it's part of our jobs. And of course, you want to wear the uniform well. I found that when I was underway and deployed on the USS Monterey, that I sort of let myself go. Um, And then once I really started to feel that and feel how my body was different, I didn't have the energy, the confidence. You could see that in my skin, for example, as well. I was letting myself go. You could see um, the effects of the difference in my health on my skin and my hair. Um, And I made the decision that I needed to really get myself back to where I was because I wasn't happy. So I started doing that underway. We would run around the, um, we called it the Monterey track. So it's a Monterey is a cruiser. We would run around the forecastle back to uh, to the missile decks in a circle as if it was a track. I would do that with my friends when we could, when the water allowed for that to be safe. Um, And then I came home and I really kicked it into gear. I was hanging out with other people in the military who were more fit, more strong than I was so that I could be motivated and I could learn from them. And I realized that I really wanted to help other people get to that point too, because life is just so much more enjoyable when you're and healthy and your body fat is within a healthy range. You don't feel fatigued as much. Your focus is better. Your energy is there. You have confidence in yourself. So I was just really motivated by my own experiences to start this business. And that really, you just ran down a litany of of reasons for wanting to do it that makes so much sense particularly for someone who's experienced exactly what you talked about, you know, going out on a ship or going overseas. I was, when I was stationed in Italy, man, I was eating so much good food. That was great. <laughs> but when my weight ballooned up to way past where it had ever been before, that part was not so great. 
Let me ask, as far as your clientele, San Diego is a huge Navy town. Everybody knows that. Navy and Marine Corps are big time out in San Diego. Your client base for Tori Marie Fitness, one, is it local to San Diego only? And two, are there a lot of uh, you know veterans and military individuals who seek out your services? Actually, that is um, that is true. I have quite a few veterans and military that I train in person in San Diego. Um, you know, some of my clients have never have never served as well, so I've got both sides here. I've got students, for example, um, all ages, both genders. I train in person in San Diego, but I've also had the opportunity to train people all over the world through online training. So that's been a really fun experience because as much as possible, I get to know my online clients over the phone or through Skype or something like that. And I love to see the progression um, that somebody can make in just four or eight weeks with me on an, through an online program. So I've had the opportunity to train people from Australia, the United Kingdom, um, eventually New Zealand. I have a, a new client from New Zealand. And then um, maybe one of the more fun things that I've done actually here in San Diego is I collaborated with another trainer and we did a boot camp style class at 6 a.m. for the U.S. Marines at Miramar. And that was a blast. So um, I just I love the the veteran, the active duty and the non-military community that I get to work with here in San Diego and all over the world. Let's talk specifically about the veteran community, Tori, and we're speaking with Tori Scotty. She is the founder of Tori Marie Fitness, where she is a full-time personal trainer while also serving as an officer in the United States Navy Reserves. As you know, and as I most certainly know because I have mirrors in my house, many of us get out and pack on a few extra pounds. We're not as active when we leave the military as we were when we were in the military. For some people, it's it's simply a matter of rebelling against however many years you had to get up and PT three times a week and do all the stuff you had to do. It's just like not shaving, going to not work out early in the morning. Let me ask you, what are some of the biggest things that you think veterans are doing wrong when it comes to staying in shape after they get out of the military? What are the big red flags that you think people should look out for and look to address most immediately? I think that the first thing that anybody has to do, especially veterans, because we're used to being so busy constantly with the military and then we get out and life feels so relaxing and so easy or it feels strange to not have so much responsibility packed into an hour or a day. You have to find something that you love to do. Working out at first when you're getting into it may feel like a chore. It may feel like you have to force yourself to go, but the goal is to make it enjoyable for you. If you don't enjoy it, it won't become part of your routine, which is key to living a healthy lifestyle. So give it a try. Going to the gym can be really intimidating. Maybe if you have a friend that you feel comfortable going with or finding a trainer that's affordable knowledgeable and certified in your area can make it feel a little bit less intimidating and can help you with your goals so that you can develop a routine. And like I said, the key is making fitness or moving or being active part of your daily life. Here's another question that's similar but different. Of course, not getting started, as you just said, is the biggest thing that people need to change. What are some of the things that you see with your clientele and with others that people are doing wrong when trying to get in shape? I know there are people that go to the gym, get on the machines, and they're not even using it properly. Is is that the biggest thing? Or what, what are people doing wrong when they do start uh, doing something to get active but maybe aren't doing it efficiently? 
I would honestly say that the one of the bigger things that people are doing wrong is, um, well, in terms of using equipment or anything like that at the gym is maybe just experience. And that's okay. I've been there too. I had to learn, you know, how to use gym equipment. You don't even have to use gym equipment if you want to go and do fitness or training, for example, at a park or outdoors. Um, you just need to find someone or a resource that you can use to help you understand how to work out safely so that what you're doing is actually beneficial to you. For example, you're not doing something that's going to injure your joints or your lower back. So knowing how to work out safely and then also knowing that your goal is to be within a healthy body fat range. Um, So I see a lot of times people paying attention to the number on the scale. This happens a lot with my female female clients. Um, They're losing body fat. They're gaining muscle mass. And they're looking at that number on the scale, and it's deceiving because it's not changing, or maybe it went up a couple of pounds. But then when we do their body fat measurement, uh, we can see that they've made a lot of progress in the few weeks that they've been working out or whatever the case may be. So don't pay attention as much to the scale. Pay attention to your body fat. Get a certified trainer who can help you do that or learn, learn a place, a gym that can help you do that so that you can measure your progress effectively. When it comes to food and diet in particular, you as a personal trainer, I know a lot of personal trainers are involved in every aspect of fitness, including diet. Now, is it possible to eat not all that healthy and make up for it and working out? Or does it need to be kind of a combination of the two to actually get into good shape? It definitely has to be a combination of the two. I am the first person to tell my clients that I'm not a perfect human and I like to enjoy my life and I have food that is my favorite kinds of food that I want to eat and I don't follow a strict diet plan. I think a lot of times we, as females especially, but this, this happens with males and females who are trying to get into shape, use food as a punishment and any time that you're associating uh, food with a, a punishment or it becomes something mental for you, you're already going in the wrong direction. Food should not be a punishment for you. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that you need to pay attention to is that you're eating clean food, meaning clean, meaning when you look at an ingredients label, is what you're eating made of real ingredients, real food, or are there a lot of um, fillers, for example, one of the things you might see, artificial food coloring or something like that. That's not what I would consider a clean food, um, drinking tons of water, staying hydrated, cutting out those sodas and those juices, those empty calories. Your, your beverages should not be your empty calories throughout the day. Um, and then just like I said, I wouldn't do any crazy diet plan that cuts out your macronutrients. You'll see things where, you know, maybe someone says, I'm not going to eat any fats in my diet or something like that. And that's not the right thing to do because, that there's a reason that your body needs good fats, not not your bad fats, your good fats. So it's just education sometimes. Um, and a nutritionist or a registered dietitian would be the best person to help you uh, learn about nutritional tips and guidelines for your diet plan if you want to do something like that. Um, but a personal trainer, a certified personal trainer, should be able to help you with these tips like I'm talking about so that when you're focused on your fitness plan, 
um, what you're doing outside of the gym is complementing that and helping you reach your goals. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it, Tori? Really a healthy lifestyle. It's not just excelling at one thing or the other. It's building up this kind of completeness. And people don't need to be, they don't need to be Tori Scotty who's in the gym each and every day of the week to be a healthy person, do they? I would say no. I want my clients to be active every day. A perfect way to kind of demonstrate this is when I do an online plan for someone. Um, They're working out different muscle groups Monday through Saturday, Sunday being a rest day. So the reason that they do that is because, say, they're working out a muscle group on Monday that they're not working out again until Thursday. They actually are getting rest time in those couple of days where they're working other muscle groups in between. Um, So, no, you don't have to be in a gym every single day to be healthy. And I'm also to that point where I enjoy it and I love it and it's a part of my life. But I don't want anyone to be sedentary every day of the week. I think that it's really important, like I said, not just if working out or getting into the gym is intimidating at first, um, to find something that you enjoy going on a hike, taking a jog around your neighborhood, bicycling, something like that. You have to get started doing something you enjoy and not being sedentary every day of the week. We've been speaking with Tori Scotty, officer in the Navy Reserves and full-time personal fitness trainer with her own business, Tori Marie Fitness, about, well, about her career, about that transition and about what it's like starting your own business. And of course, when it comes to the business aspect of it, was that more or less difficult than you being able to uh, actually do the job? Have you found the actual business side of things to be easier or harder than the actual trainer side of things? Um, that's a, that's a toss up depending on the day. Definitely forming a business and doing it correctly is difficult. Um, I wanted to do everything the right way. So I hired an accountant, you know, you have a point of contact for your insurance as a personal trainer. Um, you know, you'll work with, for example, I have an attorney that I work with for anything legal documentation or contracts or anything that I need to have written up. So that kind of thing is is not easy for me, but I am so passionate about my business that I can get on a roll with it and enjoy doing it. And I've really learned a lot. And that is why I go back to saying I'm so appreciative of everybody that I get support from or work with or collaborate with for my business, because while this is my dream and my passion, there's no way I could have done it alone. And Tori, if people want to find out more about you, more about your business, if they happen to be in San Diego or looking for an online personal trainer, as you mentioned, you've now started doing that, where do people go to find out more about Tori Marie Fitness? Um, I right now have my Instagram account. It's Tori Marie underscore fitness. I'm pretty responsive on there to messages and comments on my page. My website is under construction, a fellow um, lady sailor that I used to serve with when I was active duty is making that for me. So it's in the works and then I'll be putting that out there in a couple of months so that people can contact me through my website as well. Um, But yes, I would say that if you want to contact me through Instagram, I'm pretty responsive. T-O-R-I-M-A-R-I-E underscore fitness, F-I-T-N-E-S-S. I've actually got about 90% of my clients came from my Instagram. Wow. 
And of course, having checked out the Instagram page, it looks like there's some really good info on there as well. You're demonstrating some things, you're showing uh, pictures of stuff, and of course, a great way to keep in uh, to keep in touch with people. And I'm glad that we got to get in touch with Tori Scotty. We want to thank you so much for spending this time with us, and thank you so much for uh, for everything you're doing to help the denizens of San Diego and elsewhere get in better shape. Thank you, Tori. Thank you, Eric. You know, Jake, I love talking to people like Tori who are in great shape. Um, Although I hate it because it reminds me of how awful shape I'm in. Now, you, the other day, said that you went and checked out a personal trainer. Is that something that you've been able to follow up on, or have you been a little... uh, Not at their lowest package being $2,000. Yeah. Have you looked into any of the possibilities of any of the gyms around that are a little bit less? I have, but I realize... I don't know. I'm I'm looking into it. You you just don't know if you're going to do it or not. Yeah, I'm making excuses. I no, I do the same thing. The other day I was supposed to go to my jujitsu class and then I I took a little nap beforehand after I got home. I was tired. Woke up and had like a, a little bit of gas, a little bit of stomach pain and stuff and was like, "Well, oh, I'm just not going. I'm not going tonight." I should have. I absolutely should have, especially because I can't go tonight because my wife is out of town, so I've got to watch my son. But, you know, it's one of those things where you keep making up excuses, and it's not good, and we know it's not good. But there are people out there like Tori Scotty who are willing to help you out if you're having trouble with that, so go check her out. Again, Tori Marie Fitness is the company. Go check her out on Instagram and social media. You've been listening to The Morning Briefing, Wednesday edition. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.